We've, we're coming to the end of our what seems like forever series in Isaiah. I can't remember when it started, but we have reached the end. And uh, if you're really good, we might even get badges. But, okay. So, back at the beginning of this series in Isaiah, we heard him speak about the wickedness of Judah in the ways in which they'd rebelled against God. From the description given in Isaiah 1, Judah was a nation who had ignored God's directions. Throughout our journey through the, the first 26 chapters, we have, seen, we, we have been given more detail about how that unfolded and the consequences of that. Isaiah 27 focuses in a very strong way on the actions of God, all of which will take, all of which will take place at a future point. This is when he will fully recover Israel back to rightfully trusting him. It will be brought about through victory against the spiritual and earthly foes, those that, the, that, ha, those that false trust had been put in. This final chapter in a journey through Isaiah is one of battles, victory by God, restoration, judgment, and the restoration of his people, final restoration of his people, which to me sounds like a pretty amazing plot line for a great film. Yet this is the truth of God's plan for his people and this world. Each step God takes is building towards that final restoration of his people. Each step is playing a vital part in unpacking of his plan. One final thing before we head into the scripture. One, um, things, excuse me. one final thing to give you a heads up about, uh, one, de- uh, one definitely worth being aware of. There is a scene running through this chapter that gives us an insight into God's character. Yes, we have the things that are going on in the service, but it gives an insight into who God is, his character, his personhood. And this is worth uh, listening for and thinking through as we go through. So, we have four sections in this chapter that start with a statement, in that day. They provide the sandwich for this chapter. They provide the bread for this sandwich, rather. These give us a sense of absolute nature of what is to be described. Yet there is no specific timescale for each of these, other than in the future, a mark of all prophecies. In, in verse 1, this is, uh, we have, um, at first glance, it looks like God has a pretty amazing sword and is going to use it against a creature you or I have never heard of in a nature programme. So what is actually going on? Here we have the utilisation of imagery from ancient mythology, a story where a divine being combats a monster. This instead is being used to depict God's battle and victory against Satan. The number of words used to describe the sword is equal to the number of times the creature is mentioned. This is to show how God is able to stand against him. Not only is God equal but is also greater. The story ends with this creature being ultimately defeated. This imagery shows that Judah should have confidence in the action of God, trusting only him, as it is God who wins this ultimate battle. The next section, verses 2 to 6, gives us great comparison against Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. In that first use of vineyard it has been, that has been established by God in the best possible way, within uh, verses 1 to 2 of chapter 5, we see the full picture 
of great confidence building up to a harvest time when the crop is expected to be great. Yet it all comes to nothing. In the final part of verse 2 in that chapter, there's expectation and yet all there is is bad fruit. Nothing worth harvesting. Nothing worth using in the, in the wine press that has been built and prepared. Why is this poor harvest in chapter 5? Put very simply, Judah. They just didn't care, take care of what God had given them. They neglected the roles that they had chosen to do. This resulted in its destruction and being overgrown by briars. Not a very cheerful story. But now, in chapter 27, we see the restoration of that vineyard. It will be fruitful as it was intended to be. The destruction in chapter 5 will be turned around, not by Judah, but by God. God reaches a point where he has done with being angry at Judah, despite all that they have done. Here in the prophecy, through briars and thorns, God expresses his love for Israel by using his force to push them back. It is like he wants the enemy to attack in order to be able to show the enormity of his love for them. Israel sees the light of how God God is the place where they will be protected, not places and people they had gone to before. They come back to God, trusting for him for the refuge they need and make peace with him. Israel will be as proactive as God is. They have to take a step as much as God. In verse 6, we see the reminder of the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2-3. This is where God promises to make him into a great nation. It is great when you see the continued working out of God's covenants and prophecies taking place throughout the Old and New Testament, as we do here. When God makes these promises, they do come to reality. Human perspective or human time agendas can impact on us how holding impacts on us holding confidently to these. But we should have confidence that God's words will and does come to full expression. This also reminds Israel and ourselves that God is a missional God. Israel's and ours is a missional faith. They forgot this as we can. We can, they took their eyes off the job that had been given, they've been chosen for, and we can do this also. Are we doing that now, as us as individuals or us as a church? To me, that's a big challenge, one that is not a simple, easy answer, but one that I need to uh, think about and ask myself what I'm doing in my life and how I'm responding to the fact that God is missional. Right, we've now come to the, the, the meat in the sandwich, the judgment section. It's not fun. Here it is in verses 7 to 11. It cuts through the middle of the positive actions that will take place with and for Judah and reminds them that God will deal with his people in the present situation they find themselves in. There is a period of pain as God brings about judgment on his people. As much as it is painful, we can see that the judgment is, on the, is not on the same level as his enemies. That is what Isaiah is pointing out in the first uh, verse of that section, chapter, in verse 7. 
And this is a consolation of some sort. It might seem a weird consolation, but it's that God is not going to be as destructive and as, uh, as he is to their enemies. God reminds them that there has always been a level of restraint when it comes to his punishment that he inflicts on them. This truth is continued in verse 8 in reference to when Israel encountered exile. There had never been absolute exile with no possibility of return. God never dished out the full wrath or penalty which he was at liberty to in response to Israel's rebellion. The reason for that? Cleansing and not obliteration. This was the role of exile and, and judgment is going to play. At the centre of this section in verses 9 and 10, it was revealed that we will be God's, that it is revealed what will be God's response to Jacob's guilt. Now this isn't Jacob Smith who sat there, who's just smiled at that. This is a way of describing Israel's sin. This is the removal of their, their sin and the presence and the hostile strength of our enemies being crushed forever, our soul's enemy being Satan. All that, is, all that is needed for this will be done by God. Yet here, no details of God's actions are given. It is only in Jesus that we discover the extent of God's action. The explanation of this can be seen throughout the New Testament. We heard some of this in our Gospel reading, and it can also be found in Romans 3, 21-26. That gives us a really good snapshot of what is taking place, what Jesus has done, what Jesus has fulfilled. What a privilege it is, privilege it is to live in the fulfilment of this part of the prophecy. Now, we go back to the bread, the in that day sections. It's the final statement of this section of Isaiah in this series. Firstly, in verse 12, we have the picture of God harvesting his people. The word in verse 12 that's been translated as thresh can also be translated as beating. Not violent, but in the sense of the technique used for harvesting olives. Whichever way this is translated, it shows that God will come for his people. It is very specific about the location of this harvesting. This is shown by the referencing of two rivers, the Euphrates and the Wadi of Egypt, are the traditional boundaries of the promised land. The Israelites referred to here are those that are true members of his people. This harvesting process isn't a reckless one, randomly gathering stuff up, but it's specific, it's picking them one by one. A God of thought, a God of action. God is being very careful to bring those who are faithful to him. The reason behind this is to ensure that Israel returns to being God-fearing. Verse 13. In the day of harvest we learn that the trumpet will be sounded out as part of this gathering in of Israel. Here the trumpet's use has a dual story to tell. The first part is connected with the trumpet being sounded at the start of the year of Jubilee, as described in Leviticus 25. This was given for cancelling of debt and freeing of captives. Both of these activities can be seen within this chapter, 
part of God's final gathering and of his people and can be seen in from us looking back and seeing what Jesus fulfilled on the cross. The second significance of the trumpet, its use in the call of people to worship. An example of this is given in Numbers 29. This is when instructions are being given for the Feast of Trumpets. The trumpet sound in the future will call in all people to true worship of God. Notice this is for all people. Verse 12 was very specific about being for Israel. Isaiah finishes this chapter on a, on a call for all people, not just Israelites, Israelites and Gentiles, being called back to worship God. So, that's chapter 27. As we have journeyed through Isaiah to this point, we have seen God's provision for Israel and the pickle that they have got themselves into as they failed to trust God. Instead, they chose to trust human powers for their protection, something that can be easy for us to do today. We need to trust God and his wisdom for our lives. There are many sources where we can glean our wisdom from, Uh, whether it's academic wisdom or trying to make a decision about something or where we get our trust from or our confidence from. All of these are competing for our trust, but it is only God where we can find true trust and wisdom. I think that we are at an amazing point in history. I know this may sound strange with all that is happening in the world, with people being hacked down in the middle of London, with bombs, with... Uh, natural disasters of whirlwinds, but we are living at a point in history where we are living post Jesus' death and resurrection. We are living in the fulfilment of what is promised in Isaiah 27. That is, I don't know about you, but this seems to me such a privilege and one we can take for granted. Yes, we know Jesus has died for our sins and all that comes with that. But do we really grasp the enormity and the privilege that it is to to be in that? One slightly flippant but very serious. I'm so glad that I don't have to go to the temple to make sacrifices. Because for those who were students in the student group last week, we we had a discussion or storytelling about how Various people, including myself, are not very good with blood. Now, that may seem a trivial example of why, but it goes beyond that. We live in an amazing period of history in what God, in what position we are, in the fact that we can have a renewed relationship with God because of Jesus' fulfillment of Isaiah 27. I think this is worth choosing to do. Not something to leave on the side, not something to think about in the future, but to think about now and to live in the reality and the truth of it now. Now, this isn't something we do kind of lightly. So, if there are things that are getting in your way, if there are uh, other things that you're putting your trust in, if there is a difficulty in making that step of faith, There are people at the end of the service you can pray to or chat with somebody. Don't just listen to my words and go, that's nice. If God is challenging you about something from this, grasp hold of it with both hands. Just going to pray. Father, 
I thank you for the privilege that it is to live at this point in history, for the privilege to know the fulfilment of what was talked about in Isaiah 27. Father, I know the realisation that we can uh, wander off and take wisdom from other places. But I ask that you would help us draw our wisdom from you in all that we do and decide. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.